your attention to verse 18, 19, and 20. Verse 18, 19, and 20. We'll read it, and then we'll ask for the Lord's blessing on us this morning as we look at his word. Deuteronomy 16, verse 18. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice, and only justice, you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God has given you. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, would you be pleased to open our eyes to see the truth here, to receive it gladly. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to open our hearts because we are naturally uh, ignorant of you. We do not come to know you through our natural abilities or intellect. We are totally dependent upon you. And so this morning we come in prayer asking that you'd be gracious to us, that you would indeed speak to every one of us personally through the preaching of your word. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Three short verses for us to consider this morning. And I think it's very clear that Moses here is giving to the Israelite people the way they should think about appointing judges and officers in their kind of governmental structure, isn't it? Society. You know, in your national society, you should have judges and officials who follow justice, who are not, you know, perverting righteousness, who are not taking in bribes and showing partiality and being unfair. That's what he's saying. And we read that and we think that is exactly what we would all want of society. None of us would think about judges who would take bribes in the dark and think that's a good thing for our nation. None of us would think of people like prime ministers and, and people in parliament who are in charge of the government and we wouldn't want them to start perverting the cause of what's right and doing what's wrong. And so we read here and we see, we see this easy resonance with this passage, don't we? We feel it as something we, we would naturally want. And that, you know, this is such a, a desire in our hearts for justice. That is all, I think, little indications of our being made in God's image. And I bring that point up because I'm showing us here that we naturally as human beings, we want justice, don't we? If you read the news articles today, you would be incensed at all the injustice that's happening around the world and in our own country. There are so many stories that break the heart, that you know, kind of rouse up our anger at all the things that are not being done right. The evil people getting away with the things they do because they're rich and powerful, perhaps. You know, things where all the evidence points to something, but the judge gives them such a lenient sentence. Things like that. All of it are indications that we ourselves, we delight in justice because we're made in God's image. And I bring that point up because to be made in something's image, you must go back to the source, isn't it? And that helps us to answer the question of, well, why did God tell Moses to give the people of God this instruction? That they needed to have judges and officials who would follow justice rather than Maybe following practicalities, following profit, or following something else. But justice, and only justice, is what they must be concerned about. Why is God wanting them to do that? 
Why is God wanting his church and his people, every single one of us as human beings, as created creatures, why does he want us to delight in justice and to do what's right? And the answer for that is very simple. If we, fallen and sinful as we are, love justice and we are made in God's image, well, the simple answer is that God is the God of justice. He loves justice. God does not take a bribe. God does not show partiality. God does not pervert the cause of what is right. See, God himself is fully just. He himself defines what justice is, and he loves justice. He won't, he won't go and do something that's not justice. He won't do something that's not fear, not right. Because God is justice, he commands his people to be just and to you know, administrate their country and their nation with justice. Now for us, we see the lesson very clearly for us as, as Christian people. But we must be very concerned about justice, don't we? Personally, societally, we've got to be very concerned with justice. And that is very true. But the point of this morning is not so much that I want to impress it on you that you need to be a person who's concerned about justice. That is a step that's actually removed from something more fundamental. And the point that I want to bring us to consider this morning is the fundamental fact of this. Have you as a human being been brought to personally deal with God's justice? That God is a God of justice who follows justice and nothing but justice. Have you dealt with him and thought of him and experienced him in that aspect of who he is? Do you think of God as a God of justice? Does it bring you joy to know that he is a God of justice? Have you faced him, in other words, in his justice? Because, my dear friends, that question is something that is immediately relevant to every single one of you. You think about justice in our society, justice in the courts, something we're concerned about because we're in New Zealand, but a lot of that can feel very removed from us personally until we, we ourselves go through it or we have family members or friends who do. But this question of facing God and His justice is directly relevant to you because the Bible says that every human being will face God on the final day of judgment. We will die, and then on the final day, God will raise the, the dead to face Him in judgment. We will face Him in His justice. You will face Him. And the most important thing is that you know how that meeting goes now before it's too late and your fate is unchangeable. And so this question is so immediately relevant to every single one of us. Now here we're considering, what is God's justice like? What, what, is, he, what is he telling us about his justice? What does he delight in? And the Bible is so clear that God's justice is revealed in his laws. He tells us what he wants his created beings to do. He gives his laws as a reflection of what is right versus what is wrong. And Jesus, our Lord, summarizes the law in two great summaries. The law is this, to love God with all of your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says in that, all the law of God is summarized because if you love your neighbor, you won't murder them. If you love your neighbor, you won't steal from them. See, these are all things from the Ten Commandments. If you love God truly, you won't go and worship a false god. You won't take his name in vain. 
such and such things. And so the summary of what God demands is love, perfect love towards Him and towards other human beings. Now be honest with that standard of judgment that God is bringing. Where do you stand on that test? Have you ever loved God with all of your heart for even a second in your life? Must we not confess honestly that our problem is rather than even getting close to loving God and others, our natural bent and inclination is that we love ourselves above God and above other people. Oh, we love ourselves and our wisdom. We want to go our way. I was just reading a book by a man called A.W. Tozer who says that the essence of sin, sinfulness at its core and at its root is that mankind, each individual human being, has set up their own throne, at least in the boundary of their lives, and they refuse to allow God to enter in. A person may confess, you may confess, that God is in control of the weather and of the stock markets and of everything else, but as soon as it gets to what you should do with your life, how you should spend your money and what to do with your time, you refuse to allow God any say and any authority. No matter where you are in the social position, how other people may see you, yet in your own eyes, your natural bent is to view yourself as the master of your own life. Is that true? And that is something that is so natural of us that we do not feel like there's anything wrong with that. It's so ingrained in us. You look at any of our children here. I have two beautiful daughters, but they are as selfish as they come because they're human beings. We naturally think about ourselves first and foremost. We even want the choice to choose when we die. Everything I must have the final say. That is the human condition, the natural bent of the human heart. Now think about it. Zoom out and view it as perhaps how the angels view the cosmos. Here is God Almighty who has created all things by the word of His power, including you. And He gives to you breath and life and everything. He allows you to exist. And He says, I am the King. I, I've created everything. But here you are, creature as you are. You stand up to God and you shake your fist and says, you may have all of that, but over my life, you stay out. And you keep out. My dear friends, what should justice demand of a rebel against the king? What does justice demand of the one who refuses to acknowledge and even give thanks to the one who has done so much to them? Who gives them life and being? That's why Paul in Romans chapter 1 says the issue of humanity is that they do not give thanks to God. They do not acknowledge Him as God. And they could not care less about God. They don't want to give Him any glory. They would rather exchange the glory of God for something in this world. They thank Mother Earth instead of God who created the earth. That is our problem. Now, friends, ask yourself honestly. How will you fear when you face the justice of God? He doesn't take bribes. He won't be bribed by your good efforts to try and do some good for your fellow human beings even though so much of it is tainted with your selfishness. He won't be bribed by your coming to church occasionally, by your wanting to read the Bible a little bit. God doesn't take any bribes, and He does not pervert His own justice. So what can we do 
There is the greatest question that the Bible seeks to answer. The Bible answers perfectly. But we need to first know the question, don't we? So often we think about what the Bible says and we, we have no idea of why should I listen to the answer? Because we don't know what the question is. And the question is this. God is the God of justice. How can you, as a sinful human being, be right with this God who is so perfectly just? How can you be imperfect and yet stand before the perfect God and yet not be destroyed and yet not receive the due punishment that you deserve? That is the greatest question that every human being has. I wonder if you've ever thought of that question. Have you ever considered it? You know, Dwayne, our brother, just talked a lot about distraction. There are a thousand and one problems in our lives. That's undeniable. We have all these problems with our careers and our families and our housing and our everything else, our health and all these things. But do you know what? If a thousand and one of all of your problems came to face you together in one single day, it would pale in comparison with that one problem I said to you from the beginning. How can you be right with God? Because we see that all of these problems we deal with in this life, at best, they are temporary. But the problem of God is eternal. Because He is eternal. We can never get away from Him. It's not a problem that will simply blow by with the coming seasons. If we leave it, it'll sort itself out. That's the Kiwi way. But it doesn't work with God. Because He, He always is and He always will be. It's the problem of God. God is a problem to us because He is just and we are sinful. Now the Bible gives to us the amazing answer from God Himself about His own justice. God in His love so loved this world that deserves His punishment that He gave His only Son so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. There's John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible perhaps. But how can God be just and yet freely forgive the one who believes in His Son? That's the question. It doesn't seem right to us if we think about it carefully. For a person, let's consider the worst of sinners, murderers and those who have stolen and done horrible things. And they, as they come to God and say, I trust in your son, God forgives them of all of their sins? Are you kidding me? How is that fear? How is that justice? If we should look at the courts today and find a murderer caught red-handed, here's all the evidence. It's so clear. The jury, 12 of them all return guilty. But the judge says, because I'm a loving judge, you can walk free. There would be rioting on the streets of New Zealand. I guarantee you. Because that would be the worst miscarriage of justice we could ever imagine. So it's not sufficient to merely say that you love and yet pervert justice. So how can God be just and yet the justifier, the one who forgives and declares right, sinners who believe in Jesus Christ? That phrase is taken from Romans chapter 3 verse 26. And Romans chapter 3 from verse 21 to 26 is really the heart of God's message to mankind. Go home and read it. But I want to share with you verse 25 of that passage. Romans chapter 3 verse 25. 
Jesus Christ, God put him forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received through faith. That is how God can be just and the justifier of the one who believes in him. Now, I use that word propitiation. That's how the ESV translates the Greek word. Propitiation. What does that word mean? That's a word I think every single one of us should try to understand. Propitiation simply means a satisfaction, a meeting of the requirement for one party. You know, if, I'm, if I've made my wife upset, the way I propitiate her is by bringing her chocolates or a flower and saying sorry and saying I'll, I'll massage you tonight or something like that. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I, I do all the chores. I propitiate her by not merely saying sorry but doing things to satisfy her, make her happy again with me. It's the idea of propitiating. And this term, when used with God, references specifically his justice that demands punishment. And so propitiation is a full satisfaction of God's justice. It is meeting his justice and dealing with it so that God says my justice is met and satisfied and completed. How is God's justice met by us? Well, it's not by us. By the blood of Jesus Christ. God in his love put forth his son to be the propitiation by his blood. It's the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. God the son comes to this earth in the likeness of our human flesh. He lives under the law and he goes to the cross. All to meet God's justice on our behalf. God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you are a believer and you have trusted in Jesus Christ, the only reason why this morning God looks upon you with blessing and he smiles upon you as his child is because every single one of your sinful thoughts and deeds and acts have been punished in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's how much God loves us. To go so far as to take upon himself, his own son, the punishment we deserve. But there God's justice is met, and there his mercy and his love shines through. But see how God does not deny his justice in order to be loving. He doesn't deny his righteousness in order to be merciful. God never denies any part of himself in order to emphasize another. God is always fully who he is all the time. And so even his love and his mercy is fully just and righteous. Isn't that the most amazing thing? What a perfect God in his love towards us that he has met his justice and has thought a way for us to come to him that is perfectly righteous. That is why Paul goes on in verse 26 to say that this salvation, that was to show God's righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. You see the beauty of God's salvation. The great preacher Spurgeon himself says that it's this gospel that convinces him of how divine it truly is. Who could think of anything like this? Perfectly satisfying justice while giving us to us love that is so free and so abounding 
We couldn't dare to imagine it. Are you saying that if I trust in Jesus this morning, every one of my sins, God will forgive? Yes. Because the payment for your sins is so worthy that once for all, it makes perfect everyone who believes in Christ. Everyone who rests in that sacrifice. And do you know what, dear believers, it goes even further than this. I want to phrase this in perhaps the most provoking way. Do you know, dear Christians, all of you who struggle, as you go through life with your guilts and the condemnation and all the failures, you think, maybe God's heart has grown a little colder towards me. I know He loved me when I was lost, but now I mean, I'm, I'm, I know so much and I still mess up. I know I should be doing better, but I don't do it better. God must be so sick and tired of me because I'm so sick and tired of myself. Well, dear Christian, think about this. Do you know that if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has satisfied the justice of God for every one of your sins, past, present, and future, it would be unjust of God to not forgive you of your sins. Isn't that a provoking thought? God would be unfair to not forgive you of every one of your wrongdoings if you are in Christ. How can I say something like that? to suggest that God is forced to forgive us. Well, because John the Apostle writes a breathtaking verse in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. He says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice what he says. Not that God is faithful and caring. God is faithful and merciful. God is faithful and compassionate. But he's faithful and just. To forgive us our sins. It's because God doesn't play double jeopardy as they say. He doesn't demand two payments for one sin. And if you are in Christ this morning. All of your sins have been met through the crucifixion of Christ. Will God then demand that you pay for it in any way? That would be injustice. And so John says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. What a solid ground of assurance God gives to us. He says, oh, you deserving of my punishment, but if you trust in my son, you have my total assurance and promise that you will never be punished for your sins because Christ, my son, has already paid for them. That is something you can bank on. As soon as you have sinned, dear believer, go to God, confess it openly, and cry to him, Lord, look upon me through your son. Treat me according to your forgiveness that is in your son. And rest on the promise. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. He will not deny his own son. You see the beauty of what God gives to us as believers. But think about it on the other hand. If you do not receive Jesus Christ this morning. If you are not standing secure in Christ as it were. If you're not resting on him as the payment for your sins, what other payment can you look for to face the justice of God? The only other answer that can be given is that you yourself will have to pay for every one of your sins. And the Bible says that that payment will be so hefty that you will go on paying it for all of eternity. You see, Jesus can meet it because he is infinitely worthy, but we are not worth infinity in our value 
We are but created beings. And so therefore, our payment before the justice of God will go on for all eternity. That is a most terrifying thought. Something unbearable to even consider. And especially so when faced side by side with the fact that God offers to every one of you such a free and open forgiveness. He says to you, all you must do this morning is trust in my son, crucified and risen, as the way that you can approach me, as the payment for your sins. Believe on him. Everyone who comes to him will never be cast out. There it is this morning. The God of justice invites you to meet him full frontally with his justice. And the only way you can stand before the God of justice is through his son in whom his justice has been met. And I pray God would help every one of you to trust in Christ. There is no other way. There is no other way. Let us pray this morning now and ask him. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We see here that you are a God who is just. You will always do what is right. And we know that the wages of sin is death. Evil must be punished. We see that in our world today, but we are so blind to see it in ourselves. And so, Lord, Lord, we ask this morning that you would convict every single one of us that we are sinful, that we need forgiveness. And we marvel, Lord, at the salvation that is in Christ, how perfect it is that your justice is met and your mercy is given, all because of your love and sending your Son. Lord, help us to believe on him this morning. Help every one of us to trust in him and to cling to Christ, to not look anywhere else, not to anything within us, but to only to look to Jesus for our forgiveness with you for our being able to stand before you in your justice, knowing that your justice has been perfectly met in Christ. What a wonderful blessing to know that our sins are forgiven. Help every one of us here this morning to have that blessing. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.